This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Three, two, one. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. Are we talking about new homes, older homes, very old homes? What's the likelihood that copper might be a problem? So copper is primarily a problem in newer homes um, or newly renovated homes. And that's Rebecca Chris from Virginia Tech University talking about copper in drinking water. Welcome to WQA Radio, the weekly podcast from the Water Quality Association, promoting better water quality around the world. This is episode number 324. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss a show. That's the magic of podcasting. And we're on a number of podcast platforms. I just saw the other day we're on Pandora and we're on uh, Google and Apple Podcasts. So wherever you find your podcasts, you are likely to find WQA Radio. So also... Be sure to share the podcast with someone you know. That's how we get more folks to hear the podcast and find out more about WQA and the water treatment industry. We are publishing this on June 21st of 2023. We're at WQA.org on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And in this episode, we're talking about copper with Rebecca Chris, a PhD candidate at Virginia Tech University. She's studying copper and drinking water and what water treatment may be needed to address it. She talks about the health effects of copper and why copper does tend to be more of a problem in newer homes. See if you know why. Later, we'll have our Motivational Minute and WQA tip. Now on to Rebecca Chris on WQA Radio. And in this edition of WQA Radio, we're going to talk about copper. One of the concerns that we have with drinking water is copper, and yet a lot of people don't know a lot about it. So uh, we wanted to bring in an expert And uh, we have Rebecca Chris from Virginia Tech University kind enough to join us. She is a PhD candidate. And Rebecca, I'm going to stop and have you tell us a little bit about you and your research. How about that? So welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, So I'm doing my PhD in civil and environmental engineering at Virginia Tech. And my focus there is on lead and copper in drinking water, specifically how to help residents detect lead and copper and how to help residents and utilities figure out what to do about it. Very good. What exactly are you um, aware of, kind of to set the stage, the presence of copper when it comes to drinking water? Is it in the water? Is it in the pipes that transport our water? Uh, where, where, are, where are we finding the problem? So copper is not often in the source water. So the water coming from the utility, um, it often comes from corrosion of plumbing in the household. So if you have copper pipes in your home and the water sits in those pipes and reacts with those pipes, that's going to be where you get most of it. Just for humans, right? Yeah. So um, there have actually been several reports in veterinary medical journals about dogs having problems with copper. 
So they can have a similar disease to Wilson's disease. They call it copper storage disease or copper toxicosis. Um, and they've observed it in many breeds of dogs. And this essentially, when they have this illness, they don't eliminate copper well. And so it can build up in their liver and cause lots of problems that can lead to death. Um, so in our research, we've actually seen um, with two residents that we've worked with um, suspected copper poisoning in their dogs. Um, so the one resident, um, he noticed that his dog wasn't feeling well. He took it to the vet. They went through all these different tests, um, years worth of tests, or at least a year worth of tests. And the vet ended up telling him that they didn't really know what was wrong. They thought maybe it was cancer or an autoimmune disorder, but it was so bad that the vet said, we can't let this dog keep suffering. I'm going to give you a week, and then I think we should put the dog down. And the resident didn't know he had copper in his water at the time, but something in his heart told him, I'm going to switch the dog from tap water to bottled water. And his dog made a miraculous recovery. He later found out there was cop high copper in his water, and the vet did confirm that the dog's symptoms were consistent with copper poisoning. So there's no doubt in his mind, but he has no hard proof um, that copper was what caused all of these symptoms. Wow, that's quite a story. Yeah, that is, that is amazing. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I, I was just going to say, I would imagine a lot of pet owners are are uh, are interested to 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 note that in in the event that they are, you know, making sure they've got good water for their pets. I would hope so. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out so well for the other resident that we worked with. Um, he also didn't know that there was high copper in his water and his dog passed away. And he later found out that the symptoms his dog had were pretty consistent with copper poisoning. So there's a lot of folks who might not know what's happening and copper might be the problem. Well, all right. So let's take it a step further. So where is um, copper going to be a concern? Are we talking about new homes, older homes, very old homes? What's the likelihood that copper might be a problem? So copper is primarily a problem in newer homes um, or newly renovated homes. So any homes that have new copper plumbing. Um, and this is because when you have new copper pipes, the copper is in a form that has a high solubility. So when it comes in contact with water, more of it will dissolve off into the water. But as those pipes age, they can form compounds on their surface that have a lower solubility. So we call this forming a protective coating inside the pipe. Um, and these minerals keep the copper from dissolving off at such a high rate. And so it's kind of funny to think about, we're all really familiar with these types of minerals, but we don't always know it. So if you look at like a copper dome on a building or the Statue of Liberty, those are those are made of copper commonly, but they look green. So that greenish bluish mineral is one of the, the minerals that forms these protective coatings. Um, so usually a problem in newer homes, but there are some cases where the water chemistry is such that it prevents these protective coatings from forming. So that's a big area of my research is figuring out what components in the water chemistry prevent or help the formation of these coatings and how quickly or slowly the coatings might form. And again, what are you finding at this point? What are you uh, 
seeing as to that time frame or timeline? So in general, those coatings we expect to form in about six months to maybe two years in a normal circumstances. Um, but in some cases, they won't form for five, 10 years or maybe more. Um, so a lot of my research, obviously, I can't look at 20 years worth of water chemistry. Um, so we look sometimes at like drinking water quality reports from utilities over 30 years and try to see what's going on um, and what chemistries are related to high copper coming off the pipes. Yeah, and, and would you know offhand whether any particular type of water treatment either hastens that process or, you know, affects it in some way? Um, so if you're a municipal system and you want to treat for copper, um, one really effective method is adding orthophosphate corrosion control. Um, so we've shown in lab experiments, and it's pretty, pretty common knowledge that in many cases that is very effective at controlling copper. Um, you can also increase the pH of the water. Um, so in many cases, that's also an effective method, but you have to be careful if you have higher alkalinity, for example, um, that can, increasing the pH may cause precipitation issues with calcium carbonate. Um, so utilities have to kind of pick the best course of action for their water quality. Um, if you're a resident, then you have a few different options if you want to deal with copper problems. And we're trying to develop some guidance to help with that. So the first option would be flushing. Um, so this, because copper dissolves off the pipes over time, if you leave water in your pipes overnight, for example, the copper can build up. And if you flush water, you let the water run for a few minutes before you use it every day, you can kind of clear out the copper that's built up. And that can be a pretty effective strategy, but it's a little complicated. So depending on how big your house is or the plumbing configuration, you might have to flush for 30 seconds or you might have to flush for five minutes. And there's no kind of one size fits all guidance there. Um, and then several of our community partners actually live in drought prone areas. So they really did not want to use this approach. Um, they didn't want to waste water and just let it run for five minutes every day. Um, so in that case, we suggest using things like point of use filters. Um, and this would include things like faucet filters or pitcher filters or even a reverse osmosis system like under your sink. And if you're going to do that, you should check and make sure that they are certified to remove copper. Um, so, for example, the NSF 53 label for copper removal. Um, unfortunately, there are currently no certified faucet filters, only the pitcher filters and the reverse osmosis filters. But some of the great folks at WQA have told me there's been a push um, to test more faucet filters for certification. So that's really good news. Um, yeah, that's good. So, so there are solutions is what you're saying. Um, so those are kind of band-aids to the problem, right? Like you can, you can use a faucet filter. You could even get bottled water, right? You can avoid the copper. It's still coming out of your tap, but you're not drinking it. Um, if we are doing some research on actual solutions, so there wouldn't be high copper coming out of your tap, but these are a bit more involved. So these include potentially adding, um, adding a system to your whole house that would change the pH of just your water. Um, it's a bit of a complicated solution, but some people are really concerned, for example, about 
staining of their clothing from copper in the water because um, that can be a problem. So if you use a whole house system like that, it helps with both the drinking water side as well as the aesthetic side. Sure, yeah. All right, uh, well, uh, what about the lead and copper rule and how does that play a role in this whole conversation? Yeah, so there's there's a couple parts of that. So the first is that the EPA set a maximum contaminant level goal of 1.3 milligrams per liter for copper in drinking water. So a maximum contaminant level goal, in case you're not familiar, is a non-enforceable public health goal. And it includes an extra margin of safety. So what this means is that the EPA is saying that drinking water with less than 1.3 milligrams per liter of copper poses no known health or ex words, poses no known or expected health risk. So those are their words, no known or expected health risk. So that is the maximum contaminant level goal. Now, when you take that to the lead and copper rule, the lead and copper rule is not designed necessarily to protect every individual resident or homeowner. Instead, it's designed to detect and address widespread corrosion problems throughout a whole distribution system. So in the lead and copper rule, the EPA sets a 90th percentile action level, and they set that at 1.3 milligrams per liter, which if you remember, matches the health-based maximum contaminant level goal. So we would think that's relatively protective of public health, right? Um, but what we've seen is that there are a number of cases, so things like Wilson's disease or pet health, that may or may not be fully considered in these numbers. And we've also seen that there are a lot of gaps in the way the lead and copper rule works that could leave a lot of people unprotected. So these gaps include things like using a 90th percentile action level. So this action level means that 90% of homes sampled have to have copper below that level. And if, if not, so if more than 10% of homes are above it, then the utility has to take action. So the actions could be things as simple as notifying residents, but they could also extend to extra sampling or implementing corrosion control across the whole system. So the problem with this is that up to 10% of homes are allowed to be above the action level, which is the health goal, and nobody has to do anything about it. The utility is still in compliance, they're still following the rules, but 10% of homes could have sky-high copper levels. But again, if I recall what you're, you were saying earlier, the problem really isn't the source water, the problem is really going to be in the home anyway, right? Isn't that where the, the uh, challenge is going to be the most difficult and where the, the solution needs to be applied? It is, so those 90th percentile values are sampled at home taps. So this is saying the utility, even though the copper is coming from the residents plumbing in their own home, the utility is still responsible for delivering water that is relatively non-corrosive. Um, so the 90th percentile does cover the fact that it's a problem in the resident's home. It just leaves 10% of residents that they test not covered. The other big, so there's a couple more big gaps. Um, the second one is that what homes they sample. So we talked about the fact that copper tends to be a problem in newer homes, but the lead and copper rule was first published in 1991. And it focuses on sampling older homes that were built before 1986, because this is when lead solder was banned. 
So essentially, the lead and copper rule is focusing on homes that are at highest risk of lead. And at the time, these homes built around 1986 were relatively new. So we weren't necessarily missing homes that might have high copper, but now it's been 30 years. So now those homes that are still in the same sampling pool are 30 years old or more, and they've probably, we hope, formed those protective copper, copper coatings inside. Um, and so now we're not even sampling the homes you would expect to find high copper in. So we could have whole communities with high copper that no one even knows about. Well, it sounds like homeowners, perhaps those that are especially newer homeowners, would be wise to have their water tested. They definitely would. Um, and the other catch to this as well is that any homeowners or residents in using private well water are completely on their own as well. Um, so the lead and copper rule only covers municipal water or city water systems. So if you're a resident with well water, you are completely responsible for your water quality. But again, probably not the likely source of the, of the uh, copper, right, coming from a well? So you could have copper problems in well water. It's all about what the water quality in your well is like and how that mixes with your home plumbing components. So if you built a new home with well water, it's possible you could have copper problems. Hmm. So for our WQA members, especially the dealers who are making those those uh, installations, they're visiting the homeowners, they're actually on the premise, they would be wise to consider the fact that copper could be a problem. They should. Um, it's relatively simple to sample for. Um, I've even done um, some parts of my study are at-home test kits that measure dissolved copper. Um, so I think that these vendors could go in with relatively simple tests. They don't necessarily need to do, you know, ICPMS testing that they send away. Um, but it's something that they should at least be aware of. Well, if somebody wants to reach out to you for a little more information, uh, where could we uh, where could we reach you? Uh, so the best place to reach me would be my email. So that's rbchris3 at virginiatech at vt.edu. So rbkriss3 at vt.edu. And that's V as in Victor T, virginiatech.edu. Yes. And I know our members are very interested in this topic. It sounds, uh, you know, again, something that we can do and, and, and have an impact uh, for the many people that we come in contact with to provide better water quality. So, wow. Uh, just, uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us and filling us in on this topic and really bringing us up to speed on an issue that maybe some of us weren't quite as up to speed on in the past. So thank you very much for joining us on the program. Thank you so much for having me. And now our WQA Motivational Minute. Are you banking on the past? I saw a quote from New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick the other day. If you follow the NFL, you know the Patriots have not been all that successful since Tom Brady left. And Belichick was asked why the Patriot fans should be optimistic about the upcoming season. His reply was, the last 25 years. In other words, because of the success of the past, Fans should be optimistic about the future. Well, I don't think so. I believe you can be proud of your past, 
Be proud of what you've accomplished, but the past does not guarantee success tomorrow. Yet, it's easy to slip into that mindset, isn't it? We think because we've been in business for 25 years or 30 years that we'll be successful tomorrow. Well, maybe, but not necessarily. We still have to show up, work hard, serve the customer's needs. Our WQA tip, next year's convention will be March 5th through the 7th, 2024 in Orlando. It will be even bigger and better than this year's, and you won't want to miss it. If you would like to be a convention presenter in 2024, guidelines and applications are available online now. Go to convention.wqa.org and keep checking back for more information and when registration will open later in the year. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at wqa.org and, of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at wqa.org. This is Wes Bleed, so long from WQA Radio.